Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. What a great day to be in God's house. It's not the first Sunday, but it is our first service. And we're just so glad that you could be with us. If you are visiting for the very first time, you're our guests. Why don't you sit back, relax, and just enjoy this moment. And if questions come, or you already have a stack of questions, just write them down. And maybe at an appropriate time after service or sometime this week, just ask those questions. Because questions are awesome. When you ask good questions, you get good answers. Do you believe that? Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And we just pray that you would anoint the words of my mouth. That you'd anoint our ability to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together for the band? Get them back in just a little while and maybe have a little bit of time of ministry. First Sunday back, be good. Sound good? Also thinking of having our very first baptism on the last Sunday night of January down the beach. So if you haven't been baptised, just giving it just a, just a bit of a... Not to draw attention or anything. Some people just want all the... But in the words of, just remind, look at me, look at me, look an adult in the eye, look at me. What's the second commandment on the fridge, kids? Look an adult in the eye, look at me, look at me. I wish Catherine was exaggerating that story. I wish it was embellished, but it's just the way it was. Ten commandments every year, new commandments, just get through those years. Thou shalt not stamp their feet. Isn't it good that Mitch doesn't stamp his feet right now? Okay. We're going to do our first, series, uh, first service and our first message of the year. Um, but before I get into that, I think it's only right and fitting as the first service just to remind us of the fact that on January 1, millions of people around the world make New Year's resolutions. Who here made a New Year's resolution? No one's going to put their hand up because you can't even remember it. <laughs> but I googled the top 10 New Year's resolutions in Australia for 2023. And starting at number 10, they go in order. Number 10, read more. It's not a bad one. Travel more. Spend more time with family and friends. All depends on who your family is, I suppose. <laughs> Number seven, quit smoking. Must remember that one. Number six, save more money, spend less money. Number five, live life to the fullest. Number four, learn a new skill or hobby. Here's a good one. Number three, get organised. Number two, no surprise, lose weight. And in the number one spot, as is every year, to exercise more. Which reminds me of a woman who walked in on a husband who was on the scale, and there he was sucking in his stomach. 
And the woman, who'd been married for many, many years, looks at him in a condescending way and says, honey, that is not gonna help you sucking in your stomach. To which he said, sure it is. It's the only way I can see the numbers. I will not mention any names, Pastor Danny. I will not mention any. Hey, he started it. I was up here preaching. He starts yapping. I make one comment and everyone sides with him. What's going on? Maybe I should wear a hat. Okay, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. Anyway, the idea of New Year's resolutions are to spark some positive personal change. Am I right? Hence the catch cry, New Year, New You. You've heard that? You've said it. It might even be on your fridge next to the family commandments. New Year, New You. Yet, despite our best intentions, many people struggle to make good on their plans. According to a study published in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, get this, only 46% of those who make New Year's resolutions actually make good on them. That's less than half the people. The same study went on to do a study about those who make resolutions during other times of the year. And of all the non-resolutioners out there, their success rate was only 4%. So although the success rate of New Year's resolutions are not great, they are better than doing it at any other time. So if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, well, if you're going to make a resolution, the New Year's not a bad time to do it. John Maxwell says this, people change in four different seasons. When they hurt enough, they have to. When they see enough that they are inspired to. When they learn enough, they want to. And number four, when they receive enough that they are able to. With that in mind, my prayer for myself and everyone here today is this, that you will hurt enough, that you will see enough, that you will learn enough and that you will receive enough to see positive, personal, lasting change. And so here's to a new year and a new you. That being said, I believe the key to a new you starts with a new view of you. A new view of you. Why? Because one of the biggest hindrances to change is how we view ourselves. People either have a poor self-image, a distorted self-image, an inflated self-image. I could go on. And so the title of my message today is simply this, A New View of You. Turn to the person next to you and say that five times really fast. (laughs) 
And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This verse may seem a little strange initially, but we'll get there. If you don't have any device to read off of, please look at the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the great Apostle Paul writing. He wrote much of the New Testament, had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That's a great place to start. He didn't deviate. He didn't make something add. He didn't take something out. He didn't, he didn't add something. He just received what he passed on from the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the blood and the body of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine himself before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many are weak among you and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, which is Paul's way of saying, died. Verse 31. But if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when you are judged in this way by the Lord, you are being disciplined so that you will not finally, uh, be finally condemned with the world. The purpose of my message today, hopefully, is twofold. The first one is a spiritual component where we can view ourselves from a healthy, biblical perspective. We want to look at how we perceive ourselves. In other words, who am I? Which is a great question to ask. Moses asked, who am I? David asked, who am I that you are mindful of me? The greats of old asked this simple question, who am I? Today, we want to look at who are we? If you want a new you, you're going to know who you are first. So we need a new view of who we are, first and foremost. Secondly, how we view ourselves in Christ. Not just who we are, but who we are in Christ. Because Christ changes you. Christ changes us. Christ changes things. That is the good news. The word gospel means good news. Why? Because Jesus changes things for the good. We've been singing about the goodness of God. Jesus changes things for the good. And the third component is this, how we view ourselves in partnership with others. In particular, Paul talks about the church. The church is important. Other people in our lives are important. And so this message today has a spiritual component where we get a hopefully a healthy biblical view of ourselves. And then secondly, a practical component, which will hopefully just help you fulfill your resolutions. How's that sound? So when it comes to having a new view of you, we need to, number one, write this down, look back. Everyone say, look back. Paul is talking about communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And we're going to break bread together when I finish preaching this morning. But he says, before you do that, 
do it in remembrance of Him. In other words, if we're going to embrace change, we need a healthy foundation. The Lord's Supper is not about the juice. It's not about the bread. I remember when we introduced these little cups, some people didn't like it. It felt sacrilegious. It didn't really feel like communion, as if communion has anything to do with the bread or the juice. It's not about the bread or the juice. It's not about the leaven or the unleavened or the gluten-free. It's not about that. Of course, if you're allergic to gluten, it'd probably be good not to have gluten, but that aside, it's not about those things. It's not about alcoholic or non-alcoholic. It's about Jesus. It's not about Sunday or any other day in the week. It's not about every week. It's about Jesus. Paul says, I don't care when you do it. I don't know how you do it. Just do it in remembrance of Him. And sometimes our practices get in the way of our priorities. And that's understandable. That's why we need moments like this just to have a check. And what better place to have a check than at the beginning of the year? When we break bread, let's not make it about the juice. Let's not make it about the bread. Let's not make it about the day. Let's not make it about the week. Let's not make it about the time. Let's make it about Jesus. Because if we're going to embrace change, if we're going to have a new you, it's got to be on a healthy foundation. And all the do's and don'ts in the Bible don't land well for us if it's not on a firm foundation. And the firm foundation is Jesus. He's the cornerstone. It's on Him we change. Try and change without Him. Try and change to please Him. Try and change to benefit Him. None of those things will work. It's got to be on Him, in Him, with Him. It's all about Jesus. I hope at the beginning of this year, we can go back to what matters most. Let's look back. What did Jesus do for you? That's a great question. He saved you. He redeemed you. He helped you. He healed you. He made you whole. He's done lots for you. He's done lots for me. And we don't want all the blessings and we don't want all the things that we gather over time to get in the way of that truth. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Those words should never lose meaning in our lives. If you get promoted, if you become a leader, if you become a team leader, if you become a politician and lead the country, remember, God saved a wretch like you. Let's be forever grateful. Let's keep looking back and remember Him. Remember when He hung on the cross, people beat Him, battered, bruised, spat on Him, ridiculed Him. And He looked into the future and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can that motivate us this year? As we look back at what Jesus Christ did. A practical New Year's resolution thought would be this. Be grateful for what you have. The easiest way to change in your life, if you want to know what's the best starting place, just this, start saying thank you this year. Start saying thank you. The Bible says hold on to the good. It doesn't mean ignore the bad, it just means hold on to the good. It didn't say hold on to the bad, we do that easily. We do that by nature. I don't care what personality you are, we just find it so easy to hold on to the bad. But the Bible says hold on to the good. You're having a terrible week, hold on to the good. But there is no good. Yes, there is. You've just got to stop and think. Because to think is to thank. 
And if you can't think of anything to thank Him, it means you just haven't thought enough yet. So you've got to stop and think. Because whenever you stop and think about what Jesus has done, there's lots to thank Him for. I mean, just this weather. I mean, it's just like, it's just like the weather it's going to be in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for 37 degrees. If you don't like 37 degrees, you're not going to like heaven. If you don't like the beach, you're not going to like heaven. If you like harps, you're not going to like heaven. Be grateful for what you have. You may not be where you want to be, but be grateful you're not where you were. Some of you are complaining, but I knew you 10 years ago. You've changed for the better. Oh, you're still sulking. Yeah, but you're not whinging and sulking. Well done. You're growing. Hold on to the good. Be grateful for what you have. Because if we don't change on a healthy foundation, all the changes won't help us. If you try and lose weight, but you're not grateful for what you have, you'll just be a skinny version who's ungrateful. Which still makes you a pain to hang around. So let's have a healthy foundation. And so if you want to lose weight this year, kudos to you, let's do it. Let's do it together. If you want to start doing things, great, let's do it. But let it be on a healthy foundation. Let it start with gratitude. If you want to lose 20Ks, thank God you don't have to lose 40. Be grateful. Let's be grateful. Can I get an amen this morning? So we've got to look back. Secondly, is this helpful? We've got to look forward. Paul says, whenever you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. Paul had an understanding that he was either going to be with Jesus one of two ways. Either Jesus was going to come and get him or he was going to be with Jesus by going there. Either way, heaven was the end game. Either way, heaven was his home. Either way, Paul was just a temporary visitor here on planet Earth. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what promotion you get, in 70 years from now, 100 years from now, none of us will be here. And all that's gonna matter is what we did with this life in light of eternity. So let's look back and remember what Jesus did, but let's look forward and keep our eyes on eternity. Let's keep our eyes on the end game. And the end game right throughout Scripture is heaven. It's not you and your promotion. It's not you and your marriage. It's not you and your health. You know that? Those things come into it, but that's not the goal. The goal of our faith is Jesus Christ spending a time and eternity with Him. We are just passing through this life. And so if you want a new you, you've got to have a new view of how you view eternity. And if all you can view is 70 years of age, retiring, Again, nothing wrong with that. But if that's the end game for you, it's not healthy enough. It's not biblical enough. And it will not sustain you enough. We need to look back. We need to look forward. And when we look forward, don't be distracted by lesser things. I spoke on this recently. 
I said, if you're renting a home, you don't put the money or the time or the effort or the energy into a rented home as you do a home you own. Everything around us is just rental. We're just renting space here on earth. Our home is in heaven. Let's build for our home and not what we are leasing here on earth. Are you with me? As a New Year's resolution, I would say this, be specific, not generic. You cannot do what you can't define. Goals bring direction. And without direction, we're running a race without a finish line. And that's why heaven and eternity is so important. If we don't keep our eyes on the finish line, we lose our way. How many people do you know who aren't in church anymore? How many people do you know that aren't following Christ anymore? Because they've taken their eyes off the finish line. Got to think about the finish line. Let's get specific. So this year you might say, I'm going to start running. And I'll say to you, good on you. I won't join you in that one, but good on you. But that's not specific enough. My son Mitch loves running and he's taking his running to another level more recently. And his goal is not just to run, but it's to run every day. And he's got even more specific than that. He wants to run every day and the smallest run will be three kilometres. That's specific. If you don't have something specific, if you don't have something to aim for, if you don't have a finish line, you won't finish well. One of my life goals is to finish strong. In the first year of preaching church, I preached this message, finishing well. I want to finish well. My goal was never to have the largest church. It wasn't to be a celebrity pastor. It wasn't to be so many things that so many people aim for. I just want to finish well. I want to be able to stand at the finish line knowing I've run my race. He poured myself out. Didn't allow hurt, pain, despondency, disappointments, all those things to rob me. I'm going to stand at the end of my days with a glint in my eye, a smile on my face, a spring in my step, with a grateful attitude. Because without that, we're going to take our eyes off the prize. So let's look back, let's look forward. Second, uh, thirdly, secondly, math was never great, but anyway, thirdly, look inside. Everyone say, look inside. Paul says, examine yourself before you eat and drink. We're meant to examine ourselves, do you know that? Change requires a strong why. And New Year's is a great opportunity where we get to look at where we're at. Way back in Genesis, first book in the Bible, Adam and Eve, God's first two human beings that he created, were in the garden and they messed up. And they did what most people do when they mess up. They hide. Every parent in this room knows what that looks like when they're kids. If there's a broken something, kids go into hiding. And it's worse than that. When you finally find out Something's broken. Then you have to start, who broke it? And then you have to endure the blame game. And say, well, he did it. 
no, but they made me do it. I, and then, any parents know what I'm talking about? We were created in the image of God. Do you know where that came from? That feeling, that right back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve mess up, they go into hiding and God is looking for them. Now, God is all knowing. So this is not a matter of geography, this question. He says, Adam, where are you? Now, I want you to know, God knows exactly where they are, geography. But the question behind that question is this, where are you at? And it's a great question for us to ask ourselves every year. In actual fact, it's a great question for us to ask ourselves every day. Jordan Peterson says this, it takes a brave man or woman to sit on the bed at the beginning of every day and say, what do I need to change about me? Paul says, before we eat and drink, we need to examine ourselves. Why do we do what we do. And I want to encourage you with this thought to focus on the who, not the do. In other words, when we go to God with our request, we should stop asking, what do you want me to do? A far better question, because remember, the quality of the question determines the quality of the answer. I made a, one of my New Year's resolutions is to ask better questions because better questions get better answers. The quality of the question determines the quality of the answer. Which is a great thought, which interrupted the point I was making. Stop asking, what do I want to do? Rather, ask, what kind of person do I want to become? See, if we don't start with our identity, our behaviour change won't last long. It's interesting when Kath was up here a moment ago talking about when our kids were younger, it got me thinking about all those commandments. And, and, I, and I feel one of the words for us as a church this year is don't allow your personality to dictate your obedience. You might say, but I'm a quiet, introverted person. So I don't speak up. That, that's not what God intended for you. You may be a shy, introverted person, person by nature, but quiet, introverted people still need to speak up. Part of those commandments that we put on the fridge were values, things that we valued. And what I learned about our kids, some of the things we valued, certain kids just gravitated to. One of them was, as a rainbow, we had this saying, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. We don't do things by half. If it's worth doing, we do it well. Our oldest daughter, our ideogram number one, our moral perfectionist. I didn't teach her that. She came out of the womb. She shook the doctor's hand and said, good job. <laughs> she got that value by nature. There was no nurture required. She just gets doing things well. 
You want a good ATAR? See Jordan. You want a job done well? You want straight A's? See Jordan. I promise you, she did not get that off me. That's nature, not nurture. But you know what? We also have other values. Please, sorry, thank you. Manners was big for us. We do manners. I don't care what Enneagram number you are. I don't care what personality you are. We do manners. And Jordan, our moral perfectionist, who was just so good at value number one, we do things well. When it came to value number two, we do manners. He said, well, I don't know about that. (laughs) I had to nurture her. The first one, nature took care of. But the trouble is, they're both values of ours. And so Jordan didn't do sorry real well. Why would she? She was always right. (laughs) To any parents out there that has more than one child and your strongest one was the firstborn, I hear you. And more importantly, I feel your pain. The first one you experiment with, but she was our hardest. Mitch was easy and VJ was a piece of cake. To which Jordan says, you're welcome. (laughs) But those who know Jordan know she's very kind. She does manners. And she does please, sorry, thank you. Not by nature, but by nurture. Because in this house, we're not a Christian home. We're a Christ-centered home. And we put Christ at the center. And Christ wants us to do manners. Yes, you have a personality. Every one of us has a personality. You do any personality test, you'll come out stronger in one than the other. You might be multifaceted, whatever. But there are gonna be some values and some scriptures that are easy to embrace. Some of you, generosity, yes, preach it, generosity. You are generous by nature. But most of us need to be taught generosity by nurture. And all you who say, why do you want to speak up money? I'm talking to you. We need to be nurtured. Some are just natured. If I never mentioned generosity, they'd just be generous. Others have to be reminded. BJ, our youngest, sorry, she got she got. But I had to teach her, we do conflict. She didn't do conflict. She's a number nine. No number nines like conflict. Most people don't like conflict. But we are called to confront. So am I going to let my daughter just never confront anyone or anything? Because this is what happens when you don't confront. This is what number nines do. They're silent, 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 silent. Explode! Where did that come from? I tell you, every time they didn't speak up. And we don't do that. We do conflict resolution. And we do it within the first 24 hours of something happening. Jordan, she's got it. Let me at him. Who do you want me to speak to? And I see BJ, hey, Jordan, can you have a word? No, no, Jordan, don't. You're not helping her. BJ, I'll help you, but you've got to do this. 
Don't allow your personality to rob you of biblical obedience. Some values, some scriptures are going to come real easy. And if you want to know what they are, here's a hint. They're your favourite verses. They're your favourite verses. The verses you don't like, they're probably ones we just need to do a little bit of work on this year. We need to look inside. We need to examine ourselves. And when we're examining ourselves, we need to ask ourselves some of those tough questions. And when the heat is on, and when we're hurting over those questions, don't just flex your muscle in the area that you're strong in. You see guys at the gym all the time, they train their arms and they train their chest. They never train their legs. And so it is in the way we develop ourselves. But I believe God wants us well-rounded. John Maxwell talks about not developing your weaknesses, and I would agree with that, if you're talking about gifting. So why would I develop my gift of singing when it's not a gift? And even if I did work it and get a bit better, I don't even think I would make auto-tune sound that great. So I just don't, I don't spend any time with that. Why work on those weaknesses? I'm going to work on my strengths. I'm a good communicator, I'm going to work on that and get better at that. So when it comes to your gift, I would say don't work on your weaknesses. When it comes to your character, I would say you can't afford not to work on your weaknesses. One's character, one's gifting. Are you with me? And so the New Year's resolution will be this. Train, don't try. Stop trying and start training. In other words, work smarter, not harder. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10 says, if the axe is dull, more strength is required, but skill will bring success. We need to start training. Training leads to momentary reaction, while training is an ongoing action. And can I say this one little thought when it comes to New Year's resolution? Automate where possible. Discipline trumps motivation. Yes, but I would say wisdom trumps discipline. Why be wise? Sorry, why be disciplined when you can be wise? If you want to lose weight this year, you can have your cupboard stuck with all junk food and use extreme discipline not to touch it. I'd say well done, but I'd say not very wise. Wisdom would say get rid of all the junk food so you don't tempt yourself and you don't need discipline, you just need wisdom. And if giving is hard for you, I would say just automate your giving. Kath and I don't think about our giving. We made a commitment a long time ago, we're going to give to God first. And so in order not to be tempted, we automate our recurring giving. I don't have to think about it. I'm not tempted. It just takes care of itself. I don't have to spend any time, effort or energy in that regard. Automate what you can. Automate where possible calendar, notifications, don't have to try and remember, just let it pop up, remind you. Are you with me? Time to go for a run. Don't eat that junk food. 3.30, stay away from the fridge. Is that right, Mick Roberts? Is that what we're doing? That's what we're doing, amen. Number four, look around. Paul says, before you eat and drink, just look around. 
In other words, acknowledge the body. Acknowledge that you're not the only person in the room. Acknowledge that this life is not all about you. Why? Because what we do affects others. What we do affects others positively or negatively. And as part of the body, that's an illustration for the church. Paul goes on to say, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The leg can't say to the shoulder, I don't need you. No, we, the body needs each part. And Paul says the church is like a body. And, and, and we need each part. This demonic notion that you don't have to go to church and still be a Christian is a demonic notion. You don't read it in the Scriptures. Paul is certainly not saying that in this passage. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying consider one another. Think about one another. If you've offended someone, if you've done something wrong by somebody, sort it out before you eat and drink. In other words, the body matters. Can you imagine if someone was walking around punching themselves in the face, kicking themselves in the leg? He's like, what's, he, what's wrong with him? So he's just attacking his own body. Which is what the church does all the time. And Paul is saying, look around. You want a new you? Let's consider others this year. If you want a new you, let's think about how our absence affects others. Us being here affects others. Us not being here affects others. Us staying in faith affects others. Us not staying in faith affects others. New Year's resolution, we are better together. If you're wanting to change something in your world, I would say have someone that you tell that can hold you accountable. Accountability is not control. Accountability is a godly principle that we need to help us. Why? Because we are better together. On January 1, guess what the rainbows did? Shock horror. We started a new Bible reading program. And because we had the whole family together, I said, look, you're all adults now. I don't want to keep doing this if you're not willing to do it, but I think there's some wisdom to it. Do you want to do another Bible reading together as a family? I said, yes. So we picked one. We're doing Nikki Gumbles 365 days through the year. Quite a bit of reading, but it's profound. And I get to see all my kids' devotions. Control? What about this? Interested? Accountability. BJ wrote this morning, mercy begets mercy. I thought, oh, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> All of a sudden, what I wrote, oh, I've got to work hard. <laughs> you do you, but if we're going to have a new us, we need to see things differently. Just look around. Look around. Do you think I've wanted to come to church every time the doors are open? Sometimes I come just because I'm on roster to preach. I'll be honest with you. 
don't think the church hasn't hurt us? You don't think our kids haven't hurt and pain when they see their friends no longer in church? Yeah? But we can stop a lot of that. We can actually stop a lot of that. Parents, don't be surprised if your kids don't take church seriously and Jesus seriously if you don't go to church regularly. Totally. Let's look around. Let's look around. And the last one is the team come up. Look out. At the risk of being misunderstood, look out. Because change determines outcomes. Can I just say this? Love and consequence are not the same thing. This notion that God loves us unconditionally is true. But love and consequence are two different things. I have loved our kids every day from the moment they were born. There's not a day I haven't loved them. But there's been consequences to much of their actions. Where does that come from? It comes from God. God loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us as we are. And yes, He loves us unconditionally. He loves us so much that if you want to walk away from Him, He'll let you. He loves you so much if you want to develop a set of rules for yourself that are outside of His rules, He'll let you. But there's a consequence. Doesn't mean He doesn't love you. You can still end in an eternal separation with God with Him loving you. The Bible says, God so loved the whole world, but the whole world's not going to heaven. He unconditionally loves the whole world. But the whole world's not going to heaven. He loves the whole world. But the whole world is not going to heaven. Let's not confuse unconditional love with consequence of actions. We blame God for all kinds of things. This is the one question I get asked more than any other question. If God's a God of love, why do bad things happen? Here it is. Because we ignore a God of love and all of His boundaries He's put in place. And so we reap what we have sown. If you were to ask me, is lighting a fire okay? What does the Bible say about lighting fires? I'd say, well, it's pretty quiet about it actually. But common sense would say, if it's in a fireplace, it's okay. But if you light a fire in your bedroom, not okay. Burn the whole house down. But in a fireplace, okay. Sex before marriage. What does the Bible say about sex? It's awesome. Knock yourselves out in the context of marriage. I don't mean to embarrass you too, but I'm going to. On the night of 
Jordan and Nat's wedding. Great day on the beach at the wedding reception. They go off and do married couple things. I go for a quick drink with my friends who had flown in from New Zealand and South Africa to be there for that occasion. And one of my friends, a South African, who has older kids who are already married, was baiting me. And she's going, what do you think about your kids right now? Having sex. I don't know if this is Sunday morning talk, but <laughs> if I stop now, I feel like I'll be lynched. You want to know this? I'm looking at the time, I'm out of time. I was like, you want me to go on? And she was baiting me. And what came out of my mouth was so spontaneous and so much a part of me, I was surprised, yet not surprised. I just looked her in the eye. I said, when I think about this crazy world that's doing all kinds of crazy things, changing their gender, marrying whoever they want to marry, sleeping with whoever they want to sleep with, I said, the fact that our kids have kept themselves pure and chose to honour God's pattern of purity. I said, I celebrate that. It needs to be celebrated. In the context of marriage, why not? Now, I didn't make the rules. I didn't make those rules. If I was God, the rules might look different, but I'm not God. That's the thing. And nor are you. And nor are you. And nor are you. And nor are you. So look out. Don't think for a moment, just because God loves you, you can do whatever you want without consequence. Don't think you can do whatever you want and it's all going to be okay. The Bible says you reap what you sow. And God lovingly pours himself out as to the best plan. You don't have to do it. You don't have to embrace it. You don't have to go along with it. But there is a consequence. And my heart and the heart of this church is that we're all on a journey and that this year, this is my New Year's resolution and I make it every year. Jesus, I want to be more like you this year. That's my New Year's resolution every year. I haven't arrived. I'm not judging, I'm not condemning, I'm not pointing a finger. You've got your battles, I've got mine. Sin is sin. The consequences might be different, but sin is sin. There but for the grace of God go I and each and every one of us. We don't sit in the seat of judgment. That's reserved for God and God alone. We need Him. So my prayer, if we can stand. As we go into a time of communion, would be this. That our eyes be opened. That our hearts would be softened. that our minds would be renewed and that our resolve would be strengthened. That we could experience a new us, but that starts with seeing. Everything starts with seeing. Jesus asked this incredible question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Revelation. 
And so Peter has a revelation of who Jesus is. And then Jesus gives him a revelation of who he is. He says, you were known as Simon, but from now on you should be called Peter. And I'm believing this year, we're gonna see change, transformation, but on a healthy, biblical, new view of you. In the context of who you are, of who you are in Christ, and in the context of who you are in the church. As we sing and worship together, I want to encourage you to take the cup that's in the seat pocket in front of you. Pull off the seal and to eat and drink in your own time as we remember Jesus. Thanks, team. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.